Welcome to the M&A Cornercast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. I'm your host, Chuck Dallas. I have more than 10 years of experience with mergers and acquisitions, both from a corporate perspective and as an outside advisor. Welcome to M&A Cornercast. With us today is Jay Rosencrantz, the Managing Director at Pappas Delaney in the Milwaukee area here in Wisconsin. Welcome, Jay. Thanks. It's great to be here, Chuck. Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your firm as well. Yeah, well, you know, I've had an interesting career. I, I started out in corporate human resources, which took me into leadership roles and seeing different industries, working in different areas. And that took me into consulting, which ended up leading me to Pappas and Delaney, where now I act as managing director, as you said. Pappas and Delaney in 2019, we were excited to celebrate our 20th year. Nice. Our retained executive search and coaching firm. Our focus is really on small and mid-sized companies, privately held. We work with ESOPs, private equity. We work with family-owned companies and family funds and things like that. Our focus really has been on manufacturing, food and beverage, more and more distribution, and a lot of actually professional services over the years. So one of the things that we like to think of as a firm, and and since the time we started as a firm, we looked at it as never, ever hire anyone that doesn't have an ability to thrive within your organization. So we help organizations determine what it takes to thrive in their organization. Then we help them hire to it. And once people are in the organization, we help them coach to it. Excellent. What a great skill. I mean, it is, you know, part of your success is the leadership team that you have and then helping them grow within their position so that they can grow with the company and actually take you to the next level, right? Yeah, it's really about growth. And it's also, you know, development and keeping them there once they're in place. That's what's important. Yes. Have there been any interesting changes that's happened to the talent management front uh, here in this crazy year of 2020? No, not really. It's been real steady, no surprises. Don't we wish, right? Um, (laughs) I I think my clients would attest that they've never seen anything like this. I think a lot of us, as we look back early in 2020, I would have said, man, I think I've seen about everything. Looking back, now, the one thing I'd never seen was a pandemic. Right. Now, we kind of got that under our belt and working through it. But um, you know what? I, I think we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. But I think as we look through this, I would say the biggest thing that our firm looks at is that it's really been a time of incredible exposure. And when I say that, I mean from a good standpoint and a bad standpoint. Companies' financials have been exposed, their customers have been exposed, their banking relationships have been exposed, but just as importantly, their people have been exposed from a good way and a bad way. And I think anyone that runs businesses understands that once things get exposed, they need to be taken care of. They need to be worked on. And one of the things, if people have been exposed in a good way, we want to continue to develop them, reward them, and find them opportunities. When people have been exposed in a bad way, way or a negative way, we either want to help them fix it, maybe change their roles, or maybe help them move on. So it really has been a time of that. But I would say looking back in a lot of ways, the fundamentals haven't changed. I think people want to quickly move on and talk about the new normal. 
we think things have certainly changed. We're not going to argue that, but I don't think the dust has settled. So what the new normal is, I don't think anyone can tell you. Right. But what remains is it's hard to find really good people. I would say that the skills still are, are a real challenge. And I think it's the most transparent time in the history of humankind. Your good employees have opportunities. I think you can go still find other good people. And um, I think looking forward, it's, I think there's some real bright spots ahead. Good, good. Well, you know, Jay, for us, as we were in business over the years, we were used to that office environment and having meetings face-to-face, having your leadership team all in one room so you could brainstorm. Now, with this change to a virtual environment, Teams or Zoom or whatever it may be, that's a whole new challenge, isn't it? I think it's a real challenge. And we've all gone through that. My firm, we've all worked at home. And as I joke, as I sit in my new home office, I didn't realize there were that many dogs and kids in my neighborhood (laughs) as I looked out front. There's some good things to it. But I think it made us think in different ways, helped us be more creative. No one asked for it. But I think that the good companies and the good firms have figured out how to deal with it so far. Yeah. Part of it, Jay, told you ahead of time, I'm part of a school board. And of course, kids going virtual and people are complaining and my kids got to get back in school I said part of it is and it's I think it's the same thing for the business world we got to get used to this this virtual technology that has really stepped up during this pandemic is not going away I don't think it's going away I think again I'm not sure how it's going to balance out but it's certainly a part of our everyday life and it's a part of our future I talk to salespeople all the time that, you know, there's a good and bad component to it that it was, you know, I used to get in a car and drive two hours for a half an hour meeting or an hour lunch and then drive home. And then you figured out the person wasn't really interested in doing any business. And now I can do two or three Zoom calls in that same amount of time. And so that's beneficial. So I think it's a little bit more of you know, early on, you're able to really see if people are interested and maybe then you take the trip. And I think, you know, certainly that's got nothing to do with, you know, flying across the country and things like that. But I think it's changed the way we look at things, the way we uh, look at our time. Well, and I think what'll be interesting out of this, Jay, from that talent side, and actually I've warned my kids of this uh, when they were working at home is to stay relevant. Because as things continue to get tighter, if you think that Joe or Jane at home are really watching TV and not working, it could mean layoffs and people being possibly terminated. And so you need to, even though you're in that virtual environment, continue with your work responsibilities, right? Yeah, I think there's some real truth in that, whether it's being the employee, whether it's being in sales, uh, whatever it is, is staying relevant. I'm trying to think of the person who said you know, uh, success in life is 90% just showing up. I think a lot of people aren't showing up right now. Yeah. And so I think that's a problem. So I, I think people need to think about that, whether it's social media, reaching out, doing the Zoom or whatever format you use. But I think that's a good point. In your intro, Jay, you stated that your firm helps people define and hire to their unique cultures or you know, looking for characteristics uh, that are out there in an individual. How does this pertain to the M&A world? Well, Chuck, first off, the idea of finding out what it takes to thrive in an organization can and should go all the way back to the due diligence process, or at least as early as possible into the integration. When I first started helping companies from the inside acquire other firms, 
about 25 years ago, the one thing that we saw more often than not, when the expectations of an acquisition failed, it was a failure of people. And while it was always easy to blame the people that we acquired, when we had the chance to really look in the mirror, it might have been 50-50. Sometimes I think it was us failing in that process. So it does go back a lot earlier than I think some people think. A lot of times when you look at the M&A world, everybody talks about the dip that happens right after acquisition. That's certainly important. It's certainly there. Everyone tries to avoid it. But I think one of the things that we don't realize is that with better transparency with our people, figuring out who's thriving, better communication, we're able to get better information from those people that have been running that business, have been working in that business. And I think that helps us alleviate part of that dip. And right. I think we can do it through the people. And so I just think that's really important, figuring out who's thriving in that organization. When you look at the M&A world, one of the big things we, you know, we all talk about, and we're big believers, this 80-20 rule, right? And I don't think people put enough emphasis or understanding to the fact that in reality, about 20% of your people are doing about 80% of the work. Right. And maybe it's more 1090 yep. and that you better figure out early who those 10% are that are making that business go and put a fence around them so other people aren't stealing them. And so yep. finding out who's thriving, and you know, once you get in and figure that out, then using that thriving to help figure out who to bring on board is really critical. Right. Listening to your response there, the communication side is just so important. I bought a number of businesses for the corporation that I worked for for a long time. And, you know, what was interesting is watching some of the managers that took over. Those that had a great onboarding plan. So, you know, things, I mean, you have a human resource background so that they understand their benefits and they understand their vacation and sick leave and all these different things. You know, face it, when you're acquired, you're kind of like, can I trust these people or not? And if you communicate openly to here's what it means for you, here's our policies, here's how we function, here's how, here's what our culture is like, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it does. As I've gotten older, one of the adages that I I use all the time is that voids almost always get filled. And it's really with people and communication. That's the best example of it. I don't think sometimes people realize that once an acquisition starts and once people start hearing that it's happening with that organization, everybody's reaching in to get good people. And everybody's right. leaving the message that you realize once you get acquired, you lose your job. Once you get acquired, things change. It's not as good. And so if you're letting other people drill that message down to your folks, I think you've got a problem. And you know, it goes back to communication, you know, communicate, communicate, communicate. Once you think you've got it, communicate five more times times. Right. Don't let other people drive your message. Yep. And so I, I think that's imperative. Yeah, it's dangerous when you have, and it doesn't matter, it could be the janitor up to managers, that if there's an unknown out there, where do I fit into this new company? Nobody's really talking about me and what's happening. Once you have that, your productivity is shot, your culture is really changing, and you probably have an individual that's looking for a job, right? Well, absolutely. And we go back to talking about the dip. It, once you acquire a company, the machines didn't get slower. You didn't lose you know, what it takes to make the component that you provide. 
It's really your people, in a sense, losing focus, wondering what their future looks like. So the better you are at describing where you're going, what your vision is, what you value as a company, where you've been successful before, that helps them take their mind off of, do I need to look for another job? Is my neighbor right? Once you get acquired, you lose your job anyway. I think that is a really undervalued component of M&A. Very good point. Curious, we'll shift a little bit away from M&A and probably one of the things that can hurt most managers that are out there. What are some of the things that leads to a bad hire for your company, Jay? Well, I'll tell you what, it's really a not having a standardized interviewing process. If you paint one picture and then all of a sudden you start showing something else, people get confused, the message gets lost. It's funny that when you go through an interviewing process, a company always wants to put their best foot forward. And they, and they go through that. Hopefully they return your calls, they're pleasant, things like that. And then if you show up, it looks like a totally different company. I think that's a problem. Right. And I also think when you talk about standardized interviewing, we work with so many manufacturers, food and beverage, things like that. They can tell you everything about every one of their processes. They can tell you what machine produces what, inventory, control, safety numbers, to the penny what they're paying for benefits, and they stick to those processes, which is great. However, when you talk about who's interviewing, they put different people in the different interviews, they ask different questions, and they expect to have a good product coming out the other side. Right. And if you don't have a standardized process, I think you really lose people along the way. How do you compare candidates? How do you compare people? How do you see if they fit into your organization? One person's asking one set of questions, another person comes in and asks something differently. So right. I think a standardized interviewing process is really important. Yeah. I've always said, Jay, and I'm sure you've had clients uh, or maybe ran into this yourself. There's the professional job interviewees. So they show up and they're in your office and they're telling you everything that you want to hear. Yep, absolutely. And then after the first week or maybe just even after a few days you go, what happened to that person that was in my office? Well, <laughs> right? Yeah, what, what happened it, What happened that to that person? You know, I think another part of this that is underplayed is that people don't realize that a lot of times people don't have their best people or their thriving people doing the interviewing. And I've never understood that. And you'll ask the question, why are you doing that? Like, well, he or she really knows this part of the business. That's good. But the problem is if they're sitting there looking unenthused, not real happy, what does that portray to the candidate? So I think you kill your brand through that type of thing. And more often than not, people are doing that. And, right. and I, I've introduced executives into companies and they'll tell me, they'll come back and say, well, they didn't look interested being there. Why would I want to go oh, yeah, there? Right. And I think that's a really important thing that people need to look at and say, you know, what? maybe they don't know everything about that job, but they better be a champion and a cheerleader for your business because that's what people want to see. And, you know, people want to work with other people that are happy and thriving. So why would you have someone there that's just... Okay, I'm doing it because it's my job. I'm the professional interviewer. Right. You know, and, and I think another thing that people don't realize, Chuck, is that the investment in onboarding pays you back big time. When you look at how people interview, if they're doing a good job and it looks like a great company, a great opportunity, and then you start, and then again, you walk in and go, this isn't the company I interviewed with. The first week, you're supposed to go through and do a bunch of things. Instead, you're thrown into an emergency that somebody blames somebody for not doing something else. So you get thrown into it and you got to do this presentation by tomorrow morning. And maybe next week, we'll get to your onboarding. Right away, you're thinking, what the heck did I do? Right. Why yep. am I here? And yep. so 
do a consistent onboarding process and stick to it. Right. I think part of it is, Jay, you're probably counseling your clients that this is going to change as the generations change too. Us baby boomers, it was a different process in how to interview and how to really show the talents and culture of our company versus the young talent that's coming out today, right? Yeah, I think it's it's certainly different. When I remember when I was first interviewing, I don't think anyone ever asked me what I needed. It was a one-way street. And if you're lucky if you didn't get run over. Right. And so it really was, they're asking you, what can you provide? And they're telling you what they need. It didn't go back much the other way. And that's really changed over time, which I think is a wonderful thing. And so companies need to be advertising when they're interviewing. They need to be consistent. They need to be exciting. They need to let people know why they should join. And, and a lot of people, the misconception of marketplace is, oh, there's plenty of people out there. Going into the pandemic, we've had a those kind of problems. Now, the best people still have the most options. And so you really need to have that down pat and you really need to understand you got to sell. Yep. No, uh, you're exactly right. Well, thank you, Jay. Uh, Folks, we had in today Jay Rosencrantz, the Managing Director for Pappas Delaney. We really appreciate your insight. Thank you much, Jay. Thanks. It was great being here, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the M&A CornerCast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. We'll see you back again next Thursday with a brand new episode.